Welcome to the Cafe Radio Podcast, a collaboration between the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and the Congressional Award Foundation. This podcast is intended to help students through the opportunities the Congressional Award Program offers and provide information on how to explore the Congressional Award Program's pathways to career goals. And now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to Cafe Radio. I'm Timmy Tayo. I'll be one of your co-hosts today. Hi, I am Eric Curry III from Deanwood Radio Broadcast, and I will be your other host for this podcast. Now let's meet our guest, Medna Saturn. Currently in her senior year of high school, Medna was inspired at the young age of seven to begin raising funds for the Bal Ashram Orphanage in India after her visit with her family. During her first fundraiser, she raised $4,000 for the orphanage and begun hosting more big sales, reaching out to donors. She started her own foundation called Touch of Life, which has helped pass bills, work towards advocacy outreach, and has raised over $300,000 for the orphanage. Wow. She has a passion for STEM and has volunteered hours towards helping students in India learn robotics, math, and coding. She sees her accomplishments as an extension of her ADHD diagnosis and believes that it is a large motivator in the work she has done. She hopes that more people will see it as a positive rather than a negative. Wow. Today's topic is overcoming challenges with Medna Sarin. Medna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on today. Wow, Uh, Medna, I'm just so impressed by your bio. I'll just kick it off with the first question. How are you balancing uh, being a senior and owning like or starting a foundation? How do you balance that? And what does your schedule typically look like? Yeah, of course. So actually, I created the foundation in 2016. So it's been a pretty long time. But as mentioned before, I started my activism journey at the age of seven. So ever since then, I've been kind of balancing my work life, school life, and athletics as well. So it's been a good balance of all three of those, but I do that by making lists every day. And as mentioned before, my ADD does help me a lot. I don't see it as a disability. I do see it in fact as a superpower that helps me and I get, it's such an advantage compared to other people. So that's my perspective and that's how I organize my time. Wow. That's super dope. So during your journey uh, and starting at such a young age, were there people who you have told your ideas to and told about the foundations in the orphanage and uh, have they ever like doubted you and probably told you that you weren't able to do it because you were too young or too this or too that? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I started at the age of seven. And after coming back from India that first time, I organized my first bake sale. But it was really hard just to get people to learn about child labor, about human trafficking, because I was a seven-year-old. Like, what could I know about that topic? So it was really hard to convince people. And also, we'd go to local businesses for fundraisers and all of that. And they'd be like, wow, you're just like tiny like that. Um, Why would we listen to you? So I had to learn how to put my foot down, how to be an advocate, how to advocate for these children. And I think what really resonated with me was that I was the same age as these children who were victims of child labor and human trafficking. And that's how I made my connection with those people. And that also went for lobbying as well. When I talked to congressmen, congresswomen, like speaking from a child, I I feel like that really made a difference. And that allowed me to really give them an impact and, yeah, give an impact. So I did, yeah, have a couple of disadvantages, a couple of hardships when I was younger, but I feel like all of the advantages and all of like the successes I have had definitely outweighed all of those, all of the disadvantages. Wow. 
Wow. Just so, so amazing. My next question for you would be, I know COVID has has started for uh, two plus years now. How has that shifted the gear in how you organize your um, foundation or how you've been um, performing outreach to the people in India? Yeah, of course. So since the pandemic began, um, we haven't actually been able to visit India. And previously it was routine. We'd go to India two or three times a year. And really I'd have these connections with these kids. Like as mentioned before, I started going to the orphanage, the Bal Ashram at the age of seven. So these kids are like my brothers and sisters. I've grown up with them. Actually before this, I was texting them. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on this segment. I'm so excited. Um, so it's re- it was really great to see how we've grown together. But yeah, definitely due to the pandemic, um, I haven't been able to meet them in person, which is a really huge disadvantage. But on a more positive side, we have grown the foundation, the Touch of Life Foundation immensely. So we've done these virtual volunteer programs, essentially educating the public about child labor and human trafficking. And now we have over 8,000 volunteers for the Touch of Life Foundation internationally. And this on this segment right now uh, for our virtual volunteer, it's an ongoing thing. We're focusing on mental health. And I feel like definitely during the pandemic, depression, anxiety, all of those ment- all these mental health issues have just been exacerbated. So it was really a good focus to like, yeah, focus on mental health. And also we've been doing like online cultural functions. There's this um, event called Diwali. It's an Indian event. It's like celebrates good over evil. So we've done a couple of Diwali events, other cultural events. And it's a really great way to incorporate the community as well. But now we're finally having in-person events, which is so good. I'm like so thankful for that. So it's good to resume back to normal activities now. Being a teenage woman who is also a person of color, uh, society might put a lot of limitations on what you can or uh, can't do. However, time and time again, you have beat those limitations. So just Take us on the process and the journey of just fighting back. And uh, what is your motivation to keep fighting? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, of course, being a minority woman, it did come with a couple of challenges. The place where I live, I'll just say it's not too diversified. Um, so it really was difficult getting to start. But I mean, there's always those good people who are going to support you, who are going to go out of their way. And my mindset is that like, if you can find those people, those are the only people you need to really meet your goal. So yeah, that's my perspective on that. And I'm sorry, I didn't get the second question, if you don't mind repeating that. Oh. How has like those limitations like fueled you to keep going? Yeah, of course. So also like being in India, visiting there every year, I'm from India. These kids also have come from a disadvantaged background. So I've used kind of what I've learned from them. They don't have the voice. So I use their voice to project, To I project their voice. And I'm the voice for those 160 million child laborers who don't have access to education, who don't have access to play, and most importantly, who cannot dream. So I am their voice. And that's what really fuels me. Um. Thank you so much for that good answer, Medna. Uh, We'll have more to talk about with our guests in a little while. Radio Cafe will be back in a moment. Thank you. When severe weather causes telecom network outages, the FCC recommends that you call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve cell phone power and turn off your phone when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone and use your outgoing message to update your status. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency. Welcome back to Radio Cafe. 
we are here with our guest, Medna. Medna, thank you so much once again for being on the show. My next question is, you saw, you went to India at the age of seven, and that's when you kind of decided to jump into advocacy and jump into the orphanage. What specific things did you see when you were there that triggered that instinct of, okay, I have to say something, I have to do something at the age of seven? Because I know when I was seven, I was worried about wrestlers and cars. So, Yeah, of course, I can give you kind of a timeline of how it all happened. So yeah, being a seven-year-old, I got distracted very easily. And coming from the US to India, it was a 20-hour flight. And I was just tired. And I'm like, you know what? I really just want kids to play with. So going to this orphanage, I was like, oh my goodness, yes, this is the perfect place. I finally have kids I can play with. So I go, so the orphanage is kind of in the mountains and it's a very secluded place just so there's no intruders coming and it's a gated community as well. So it's in the mountains. It's just gorgeous place. So I started playing cricket and soccer with the kids. And I was like, you know what? Something seems a little odd and suspicious because a lot of these kids had PTSD. They had social anxiety, broken bones, scratches, and they just didn't communicate like how we usually would. So at the end of the day, I go to my parents and I'd also noticed that none of their parents were picking them up either. And because I didn't have the concept of what an orphanage was at that young of an age. So my parents told me and they're like you know what these kids they they told me in the most child-friendly way these kids have been taken away from their parents against their will are they needed to for money um and they've gotten beaten they've gotten little to no food and now they've just been rescued and taken back to this orphanage and i was like oh my gosh i didn't realize that all kids so i come from a pretty affluent area i didn't realize that there were kids that got taken away from their parents that didn't have these necessities that we had and i was like you know what i've got to make a difference so after coming back from india um we hosted our first bake sale we raised those four thousand dollars and all of the proceeds went to textbooks um to robotics as i mentioned before i do a lot of robotics so i donated all of those funds to that but yeah that's just kind of how i realized wow i've really need to make a difference starting right now it's really it's really nice for you to be able to like see that really really quick and be inquisitive about um what you saw and trying to take actions towards making a change my next question would be these are two different countries the united you live in the united states and the issue or the problem that you're trying to solve is in india how were there any um legal um steps you had to take like, for example, like trying to consult the government of whatever um, that orphanage was to see if what you were doing was aligned with the values of what they would accept in India. Because let's keep in mind, these are two different countries. So were there any legal steps or issues that you had to face or take? Yeah, of course. So we actually work very closely with the 2014 Nobel Peace Prize winner, Kailash Satyarthi, and he has the organization and he deal, his organization deals with the legal aspects of it. But um, originally we started in India with that one orphanage, the Bal Ashram, um, and then we expanded to a couple of other orphanages in India, like the Mukti Ashram. And then now we're an international organization. So we have chapters in almost every state of the US, and now we have a chapter in Egypt, we have one in Colombia, in Brazil, and Paraguay. So we've really expanded the organization. But yeah, there was definitely some legal aspects that we had to go through. But um, Kailasha Thirathi Children's Foundation, that's the name of his organization. They definitely helped with that. Um, and then as for the US, 
We didn't really have too much just because I also work very closely with the representatives of our state as well. So they kind of helped guide me throughout that. So um, with raising over $300,000 for the orphanage, and you just said that you have multiple, you donate to multiple different orphanages around the world. So I just want to get a deeper dive in how you kind of split up the 300,000 between all the different orphanages and all the different things you donate to them. Yeah, of course. So originally we started um, just by donating textbooks, um, robotics equipment and all of that. But most recently we've started funding a psychologist and English teacher for a lot of these orphanages. And I feel like that has made such a tremendous difference. And the kids that I knew before that couldn't speak any English, now they're fluently speaking, they're fluently writing. So that's where a lot of our funds are getting allocated to now. And then most recently, Mr. Sethiarthi did come to the US, so we did give him another check for 50,000. And that we're funding a basketball court over there, a basketball court and a couple of other areas as well, just because we kind of want to bring other sports in because they're only playing cricket and soccer right now. And honestly, when they started playing basketball, they were like, oh my gosh, this is such a fun experience. Just because in India, you don't get to play that many sports like in the orphanage just because wow. you're so secluded over there. So it was really great to do that and really great to see the children grow both like academic, academically, mentally, and physically. So yeah, that's kind of where we're allocating our funds right now. My next question for this segment would be, you, you have so much passion for making a change in your community. What is college looking like for you? What are you looking to potentially major in? And I guess what steps are you taking to further your interest in that area? Yeah, okay. So this is an interesting question. So actually, I'm going into college for engineering um, because I love STEM and I love robotics. But after I get my bachelor's, I'm planning on getting um, my jurisdiction doctorate um, and just really doing child rights law. I wanted to get a technical degree just because I love math, I love STEM, and I want to continue that aspect as well. Um, and I also want to help with engineering in third world countries and just places that don't have access to things that we have. Um, so yeah, just I really hope to be a child's rights lawyer and really fight for the children who don't have those voices. Well, there's more to come. Please stay with us for more Radio Cafe. The Congressional Award Foundation is the United States Congress Award for Young Americans. Since 1979, the Congressional Award Foundation has been providing opportunities for young people to unleash their potential by achieving personal goals focused on volunteerism, character development, fitness, and how to explore pathways to career goals. This podcast is a part of the Congressional Award Foundation's initiative to reach more students of color and make an impact in the community. The programs feature graduates of the Congressional Award Foundation who share knowledge with students about how participating in the Congressional Award Program changed their lives and served as an invaluable tool for supporting students in educational and career-building resources to catapult professional growth and careers. This program is open to all youth in the U.S. between the ages of 14 and 24, regardless of ability circumstance, or socioeconomic status. Set your goals, work towards your goals, receive your award, move to the next level. For more information about the Congressional Awards and the Congressional Award Foundation, visit congressionalaward.org. Welcome back to Radio Cafe. I'm Eric Curry III with my co-host, Timmy Tayo. Thank you so much once again, Medna, for joining our show. My first question for this segment would be, you have an interest in both STEM and uh, and a passion for like changing and like child rights and like child labor. 
a laws. How do you hope to merge those two in the future? Because that we're in a world now that you can merge two or more passions to create another changing community. So how do you hope to merge those two areas of study to become one and use it for more change? Yeah, of course. So I'll start with what I've been doing so far. Um, as I mentioned before, I was in robotics. Um, I did quite a few robotics competitions. So um, whenever we'd go to India, we'd bring a lot of the robotics bricks and pieces over there. And I'd kind of tutor the kids. Oh, this is how to program. This is how you're going to build a robot. So that's what I started with. But eventually I'm going into fire protection engineering. So eventually I kind of want to make the houses more sustainable over there, to make living more sustainable, just because I know there's been so many fires um, in these low income areas and they really need to find better ways to really make it more sustainable um, because the amount of fires there's been so far um, it really is a huge cost and those those that money does not be does not need to go towards rebuilding different buildings rebuilding housing it needs to go towards the children so hopefully making that a lot more sustainable uh, my next question is how has the congressional award helped with what you are doing now today. Oh yeah, definitely. So I've had the pleasure of speaking with Bree, with Erica, with a lot of other um, congressional award winners, and they've been so supportive throughout my journey. They've been willing to help me whenever I needed to. Um, I've actually, the person who got me into the congressional award, they were actually a congressional award, a gold medalist before. So they were like, wow, this program is really amazing. They're going to inspire you. They're going to give you all these opportunities. And whenever you need help, they're going to be there right by your side to support you. And that's exactly what they've done so far. They have been here every step of the way, and I'm so incredibly thankful for that. Wow. My next question for you would be, for people who are currently in that orphanage in India who would love to further their education but don't have the means, what are ways in which your organization comes into the picture? Like, I know, is it funding or trying to find them resources back in India to help them further their education? Yeah, this is actually a great question because we were talking about this the other day in one of our meetings. So actually, we were going to do a study abroad in a living learning um, kind of situation. So essentially, the kids who are finished um, with high school in India and who have satisfied all of their requirements, they can come to the U.S. Um, to further their education in one of these communities, and they can live with one of us, um, just like a well-known person over there, someone they've met before, so they'll be comfortable with that transition. But the requirements, first of all, to come to America for the learning is definitely, yes, know how to speak English fluently, math requirements, all of those requirements have to be satisfied. But it's really great because there's a lot of connections in America that we have, um, not just in our nonprofit, but just around the U.S. with the Kalasha Therapy Children's Foundation. And we can definitely partner with those kids and take them and really further their education. Um, and for example, these kids, they've become lawyers, they've become engineers and almost coming from nothing. It's really amazing to see how they've grown. And one of my really good friends, his name is Amarlal. Actually, um, he was rescued, I believe, at the age of five. He was a child laborer. And then Kailash Atirati rescued him. Um, and ever since then, he's been acing his classes. Um, and now he recently is became a lawyer and he won his first case um, for a girl who was raised raped, unfortunately. And 
Unfortunately, in quite a few countries, they tend to ignore when these type of situations happen to gr- happen to girls. But Amarlal was like, you know what? I know what you've been through. I know that we need to make a difference. And also because of the lack of funding, it was very hard to find an affordable lawyer. So Amarlal went out of his way and he said, you know what? I don't need this for money. I really want to win this case because you deserve to be represented. So this is why, like, yeah, this is, it's really amazing to see what these children have become engineers, successful engineers as well, doctors, everything. So that's, I'm really, really so grateful for them. And it's really great to see how they've grown. When I was doing research on you, right, uh, I looked on the Touch of Life website and I looked at the team and the team is full of young people of color. And when I say young, I mean high school students. Um, it, It would we can say it would be easier to get older people who can you can say they have more experience or you can say they have more connections, but you chose to go with all young people. Um, just let me just take us through the process and the mindset uh, that you have when picking your team. Yeah, of course. So um, all of these people, so we definitely have an interview process. So they'll submit their application or I'll recruit them. Um, We'll have like a one-on-one interview. I'd I'd like to see their strengths, their passions. But yes, I did want to have a lot of minorities. I definitely do like the challenge. And I feel like we can make a huge difference just coming from all of those different communities and just becoming a melting pot. So I believe on the website, you saw the junior student board of directors. Now we have like an even more junior board of directors of middle schoolers and elementary schoolers who want to just start on this journey. Um, A lot of minorities there as well. But it's really great to get people from different backgrounds. And now we have the actual board. So I just turned 18. So now I officially and legally and the president of the foundation, um, which is so great. I'm so excited about that great 18th birthday present. (laughs) Um, But yes, we've recruited a lot of elders now, um, adults as well, um, just kind of to help with funding, with lobbying as well. But yes, having minorities, I feel like has made a big difference. And I really like how we get all of those different cultures combined um, and we can really see the different perspectives from there. Well, I actually have one more question uh, before we get off. Your job takes in a lot. You see a lot, you deal with a lot. There's a lot of good, but there's also a lot of bad. What was the moment that you sat down and you saw and you was like, this is why I do what I do? Yeah, um, definitely seeing the kids and what they've become now, because as mentioned before, I did visit there when I was very young um, and seeing, I, I won't give the names of the children's for just obvious legal reasons, but I'll give you another another name, but this guy Sumit. So he had recently been rescued from a textile factory um, and making these intricate carpets. Um, And they need children because they need the tiny hands to do the different designs. So actually when we had gone to the ashram, the orphanage, um, he had just been rescued. He'd always had his he'd always have his hat on, his glasses. He'd never want to communicate with us. But I don't know what it was. I started talking about him and I really made this instant connection with him. I was like, wow, I really, really see where you're coming from. Of course, I can't resonate with what you've been through, but it was really great to see, wow, he was slowly starting to flourish as the time had come. And by the next time we'd see him in the ashram, he was dancing, he was singing, he was doing art. And I was like, oh my God, wow, 
we can really make a difference over here. This is why I do what I do. And this is why I want every child to be free because they, if they can come from this low of a point and achieve all of these great measures, I would do anything for it. Like this is my life journey. This is what I want to do. And I want every child to be free. Mm. Well, uh, I think that's a great way to wrap this episode up. Medina, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. You are very great and insightful. We loved having you. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening to Cafe Radio. I'm your host, Timoteo Adioli. And I'm Eric Curry III. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Cafe Radio Podcast, a collaboration between the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and the Congressional Award Foundation. For more information about the Congressional Award Foundation, visit congressionalaward.org.